0: Did you guys hear that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I bet we hear it
1: halfway through the podcast, too.
0: That was the
2: chair. That probably was the chair. It was the chair the first time. This time it was my butt. Because I go through every single track individually and together. And, like, I feel like if I found that, I would have texted you guys. Immediately, I know. Uh. Okay. (laughs) You're becoming a dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, welcome to the age of enlightenment. I am your host, Theo. And I am here with my good buddies, Nicholas. Hiya! And David. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) We're silly. We're so silly. We're in such a silly mood, and why are we in a silly mood? Because we have a silly topic to talk about today. Oh, we sure Uh, do. We are going to cover clowns. That's right, everybody. We're doing clowns. I'm so excited for this. I know, me too. I know, I I feel like all of our listeners are really excited too. Yeah, if you're really excited, call in and tell us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the lines are going wild. (laughs) We're watching the live stream
0: right now and people are just blowing up the comments feed. It's insane. (laughs) (laughs) They're mostly clowns. So as we record this episode, we're a couple of weeks out from the opening of the new version of the movie It by Stephen King, and we feel like this is a perfect time to talk about something that a whole lot of people, more people than, you know, you'd think are scared of clowns.
1: Yeah, and not just scared, but feel like it's a perfectly rational thing. Like, I think it's one of those irrational fears that even if you're not afraid of clowns, you definitely don't like them. So, when people tell me they're afraid of clowns, I'm like, I've never been that way, but yeah, fuck clowns. Like, who? Yeah. I, I don't want one
2: around <laughs> me. I don't want to meet a clown in person. Yeah, I've never been afraid of clowns, but I've never gotten any kind of joy out of a clown. No, yeah, I can't think ever. of a
1: single time other than scary clowns. I think that's the funny thing, and we'll get into it. The only clowns I've ever laughed at the jokes of are scary clowns, like the Joker and Pennywise. And killer clowns from outer space. Those are the only ones where I'm like, oh, yeah, they're funny because they're killing people.
2: Yeah, and I know, Ed, you wanted to do this episode because you're really into the insane clown posse.
0: It's not just that I'm into them. It's a lifestyle, man. (laughs) It's the family. Yo, the dark carnival gonna drop. He's drinking Fago right now. We can see it. (laughs) Whoop, whoop. (laughs) for not actually Uh, liking the insane clown posse i know a whole lot about i feel
1: like most most people our age do whenever i get into a conversation about that everybody seems to be really on board with knowing exactly who they are and the kind of things that they dress like i feel like it's
2: because of the uh, workaholics episode like they're they're part of the zeitgeist enough that is true in in like an ironic way that uh (laughs) And and it's so weird that right now, with the release of It,
1: there's also right now, very topically, a movement of ICP supporters and Juggalos who just marched on. Were they in Washington, I think? Yeah, in D.C.
0: Some- yeah, they were in D.C. for clown rights. Um, well, it's because a couple years ago, Juggalos got classified as a gang by the FBI. Right.
2: So that I didn't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're like considered a gang in the way that like the the Latin Kings and the Crips are considered a gang. Yeah, right. So that's what the march was about. But I mean, I feel like their whole thing is they have this very violent image, which let's be real is kind of earned, right? And it's
1: even though it's not as legitimate in a sense of violent, like actual violent history and cases, the way that other gangs are it's definitely part of the culture even if you're just kidding around or it's just part of the aesthetic it's a the whole idea is that the insane clown posse are like crazy killer clowns so it's kind of easy to see how that happened and they do tend to flock together in the way that a gang does it's it, yeah, they have like mantras birdies, they have certain you know, ways of dinosaurs. dressing
0: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> all right so uh, let's get the f- away from uh insane clown posse because that's not what i want this yeah. podcast physically to be and and figuratively <laughs> so uh l- let's let's go back to rome let's do it uh yeah you know there's a lot of discussion about where clowns really got their start but one of the earliest things that we were able to find is in ancient rome there was a class of jester called the archimemus And basically what they would do is they would go to funerals, uh, dressed as a court jester, and they would mock the dead. Now, just like uh, the jesters of later England, they were allowed to do this. They were encouraged to do this, and there was no limits on what they could do. Very much so, they could go to the funeral of the emperor, And were encouraged to openly mock the dead, talking in their voice, um, cracking jokes. This seemed to be one of the earliest cases of real, like,
0: clowning, like established clowning that I was able to find. I'm just imagining in my head, like, Rodney Dangerfield in a kilt. (laughs) Just being like, I tell you, the graveyard, it's most popular in town everybody's dying to get in
1: (laughs) it was pretty much exactly like that i think we saw that we found a picture of that carved into a stone tablet in latin Um, (laughs) turns out he
2: was 800 years old
1: (laughs) what's crazy about the Archimemus, because like you said that that eventually turned into things like the court jester which was more of a feudal feudal europe sort of tradition but this predates that but what is really interesting is not only would they mock and mimic the dead but they would basically roast everybody so yeah. they would so here's somebody and it would be for really influential people i don't i didn't find much about whether or not this was a tradition amongst the rabble too but it was really big for wealthy people so if you were a roman general and you died everyone would come to the funeral and this person would dress up like you mimic your voice make fun of you but more importantly they would kind of take shots at everybody so it would be one of those things where they'd be like oh everybody knows this guy's only here because he's been waiting for me to die so he can inherit all of my my armies or whatever like they would go really dark and really serious and just like roast everybody in the room and not be killed for
2: that in a time where you could be
1: crucified for yeah, just about
2: for... anything. Now, were you able to find... Because, like, I wasn't... Was this meant to bring, like, some goddamn levity to a dark situation? Yes. Like, or...
1: Yeah. What what it seems like... So, from from what I read, it was that... And really, it started... Actually, I won't say it started because I did find things about clowns in ancient Egypt. Um, They would have pygmy people, which is like awful, dress up as things called dangas and entertain pharaohs in animal skins. And they had a similar role. Did you say dingus? Dingus. Yeah, they were a bunch of dingai. Um, (laughs) But they had a similar role. But basically what we saw over the ages and ages and what really the Romans perfected was this idea that people need a release valve. And when you live live your life so seriously and so well revered as a Roman emperor, and then you get all of those people to grieve that person, and they've all got different feelings about it. Some of them are are jealous of their wealth. Some some of them are very sad that they lost them. Some of them are very happy because they were enemies of theirs, even though they're you know political rivals, but so they're still at the funeral. This was a way to kind of release the tension in the room, which really I think is part of every funerary culture in a way. I know every funeral I've been to, people find themselves in one corner or the other laughing about something ridiculous and be like, oh, this is terrible. We shouldn't do this.
2: But it's like, everybody's doing it. It's literally yeah. the only
1: way to cope with it sometimes.
2: Yeah, you got like your hand in the in the corpse and you're pretending it's a puppet and you're like, <laughs> I know this is fucked up, but we're getting some really great chucks. Hey, uh, this <laughs>
0: senator, he was a real piece of shit. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, so... In the Roman days, were were they like clowns the way we think of clowns? Like did they have like face paint and like wear like goofy clothes yeah. or they more like stand up?
2: No, they look like jesters. They look like a early uh, iteration of a jester. Okay.
1: Right. The oversized clothing was a big thing, and they actually took a lot of uh, the way that they did it from the Greeks because the Greeks who were who basically invented theater had a version of this too where they would have people. Greeks didn't invent theater, I did. <laughs>
0: I started The Color Purple on Broadway. That was the first play? Yes. (laughs) The (laughs) Color Purple was... Well, it took so long. Um, You're welcome.
1: But they would have characters like this that basically dressed up like satyrs. They would wear padded bellies. they put on strap-on cocks that were just, like, ridiculously (laughs) huge, just these tree trunks sticking out of their crotches. And they had, like, an insatiable appetite for wine and sex. And the Romans kind of took from that costuming... And it really set the tone that a clown, even though there wasn't a name for it at the time, is anyone that is allowed to be completely uh, inhibited or not inhibited in any way and can speak to what everybody's feeling but don't want to say, which is also partly, and we'll get into the psychology later, why people are afraid of clowns. It's less about the creepiness factor more about the fact that they seem to be given carte blanche by society to just kind of do and say whatever they want, including violence and like intense sexual aggression, which is like there's a lot of that throughout the history yeah. of
0: clowns all the way back to the to the um to the ancient Egyptians. It is really interesting that clowns from the beginning had an association with death. Cuz yeah. that's not something that I knew, but I feel like it makes a whole lot of sense
1: in yeah. retrospect. Yeah, I feel like Growing up, I, I, like, again, I said in the beginning, I never really liked clowns, but I did always just assume that, oh, clowns are probably something from a bygone era where people used to think they were really funny, like stand up or, or, you know, physical comedy, whatever. And everybody just really liked them. And then as they grew out of popularity, they became creepy. And that is 100% not the effect. They've basically always been gallows humor of, the lowest possible descent and not just with fear, but with like sadness and depression, they've been constantly tied together with all of those really negative feelings.
2: Yeah. It's a much newer thing that they're associated with joy at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, really in what I looked up, it took basically until Bozo the clown in the fifties or sixties, sixties for, for them to even be remotely a child's form of entertainment. Up until that point throughout all of human history, it was a very adult thing to even go see a clown on stage. You'd go see, like, a one-man show of a clown in, like, Shakespearean days, and that was the point, was that you would see all these jokes about divorce and about murder and all these kinds of really dark things that people would get their laugh about, and then they'd go home to their kids.
2: Yeah, because there was a point when the clown was only on stage. He was only used... As more of a comic relief uh in in an actual play, it wasn't until much later that like the clown and the stage kind of separated mm-hmm. and like there's still there's still a strong connection there today, but now it's much more associated with like a freewheeling street performance uh, right. rather than like a play oh yeah, know? could
0: you imagine like paying like ticketmaster to go see? A clown like that's (laughs) like the Concepts so fucking weird and I Mean like in my day to day life I have Zero contacts With clowns and you know it's like You guys were saying earlier um, I I understand why People are afraid of them and I, I feel Like you know that's It's one or the other it's either People are terrified of clowns or they just Don't give a shit about clowns Right nobody's I don't think I've ever met Anybody who's like really psyched On clowns Right. Yeah, and you would be terrified of them if they were <laughs> Yeah because that would be a really weird Fucking person right Which... Like if
2: somebody said they were really into clowns Your next question would be are you a clown And if they said no Then right. you would be really creeped out by that person Yeah it's actually
1: yeah. worse because you, it is kind of creepy When people go to clown college And things like that but I think it's so much worse If somebody just said nope I don't know anything about the profession I'm just a really big fan Like that would, <laughs>
2: that would bother yeah. me so much so yeah, D- if you can't play sports, be a supporter, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, you had talked a little bit about it on the stage. Um, why don't we go back to the guy who's considered the first modern clown, okay. the man who invented what we think of as a clown today.
0: George okay. Bush. <laughs> oh, take <shots>
2: that! <laughs> take that, 2007 George Bush. <laughs> now you seem to be, you know, a cool guy. I don't care <laughs> that, whose
0: toes I step on
2: <laughs> now that you don't have power. <laughs> so, at the turn of the 19th century, there was a really famous British pantomime called Grimaldi, and he made an alternate character, uh, an alter ego called Joey, where he Joey would put on face paint and baggy clothes and would be a clown. Joey, uh, or more specifically Grimaldi, is really like the great well uh, it's like the grandfather of all clowns. All modern day clowns are really descended from right. Joey. He's like
1: the he's like the head vampire. If you go find his grave and stake him, all clown clowns will perish at the same time all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought so there was a few really interesting things about him. And the reason he kept showing up in so many of the things I was reaching... Because I was really looking for scary clowns in particular. Yeah. And while he himself wasn't a scary character, he was a really, really tragic person in real life. Yeah. He was trained in the art of pantomime and what he eventually turned into his version of clowning by his father, who was super abusive. And basically, I mean, can you imagine what it would be like for your father to be, like, beating you every day, but so that you'd be a better clown. It's, like, such a higher level of fucked up.
0: That is that absolutely how you make a really awful person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what he was sort of
1: born into. Um, later on, it, when he was still pretty young, his wife died in, uh, giving birth to one of his kids. He had his son uh, grew up to al- also be a clown, and he drank himself to death by age 30. So Grimaldi was still performing himself when his son died of alcoholism, and his son was also a clown. His son actually was a. He and his son were both contemporaries of uh, Charles Dickens, and in his story, *The Pickwick Papers*, it said that the there's a a, cl- a clown character in it who's very sad and also described as being kind of terrifying. The way that like he's very gaunt and his white skin like hangs off his bones, and he's this drunken like falling apart mess with dirty makeup and that character apparently was based off of grimaldi's awful son that that died really
0: young now dave the next time that i have a couple beers and post on facebook about movies i don't like just remember i'm not a clown who drank himself to death when he was 30 <laughs> i mean you're not 30 yet I was. yeah we've got a whole year to find out if that's true <laughs>
2: But
1: he, So he actually was quoted himself, and he was a very sad person, and he was quoted himself as saying, as a joke, I am grim all day, but I make you laugh at night, playing off of his name Grimaldi. And what Dickens took from that was this idea that he perpetuated, and since then has become very common in pop culture and in literature, that for every laugh, there's a payment, and it requires some suffering or pain. So, this notion of the tragic clown who can only get a laugh uh, by inflicting pain on himself became a theme, so much so that we've started to apply that trope, I guess, to real people. People talk about Chris Farley that way, that he was only as funny as he was able to destroy himself physically over time for the sake of comedy.
2: Oh, yeah. No, stand up comedians are looked at as having a dark side. Right. Um, you know, throw a rock, you're going to hit a stand-up that has some issues, whether it be in their past, or they're battling depression, or something like that. It's a very common thing in that field.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's the old saying, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time.
1: Right, exactly. There's that bit to it, but then there's also the bit where guys like Grimaldi were... A form of comedy that was very self-deprecating they knew that they looked ridiculous the whole point was to be sort of a heel for the audience and that was their whole life they didn't tend to play other characters when you were a clown which is also i think a thing that's kind of scary about clowns is that we sort of tie clowns to the real person whereas an actor will play hamlet but then they'll do a comedic role clowns tend to create a persona And then we as the audience have a hard time ever separating them, which is what I think makes clown characters, even people like Ronald McDonald, like kind of terrifying, is the fact that it feels like a real person who's just living as a clown all the time. And that in and of itself is really scary. So if we're sticking um, in Europe for a little bit, I just want to quickly talk about a certain tradition in France, which is of the Pierrot. Which is the Pierrot was a character that a lot of people would play, and it's sort of what you imagine a French clown to look like. It's like black and white, with the black couche balls instead of colored ones, and, and almost more mime like makeup. Um, usually bald, and they're like sort of the quintessential sad clown that you see paintings of and things. And they were a long-standing like tradition in France, and were actually contemporary of what Grimaldi was doing in England. There was one in particular, Pierrot created by a guy named jean Gaspard Deborah, and he was really famous too. Like, he was just as famous around most of Europe as Grimaldi was in London. And he had red lips and big black eyebrows, and then mostly just all white besides that. So already pretty scary. You know, imagine like the Joker, very stark, not lots of different colors, just very sort of grim looking
2: monochromatic
1: yes very monochromatic aside from like big scary red lips uh he actually was sort of a guy with a temper himself um whereas grimaldi was very sort of uh dour and sad this guy was sort of uh a blowhard in a lot of ways he actually was on the street one time performing and a boy was yelling insults at him so he walked over to the boy and he whacked him as hard as he could with a cane while dressed as a clown and that Jesus. boy died. Whoa. Fuck. Yeah. So he straight up murdered, because this is one of the first things I came up where I just looked up, like, murderous clown, and it's like, oh, Jesus, this guy actually murdered somebody dressed as a clown in 1836.
2: That's insane.
1: Yeah. It's funny, because when I read more about this guy, Deborah, I didn't find a lot about that. I found a few things that accounted it as, like, an anecdote, which was kind of funny, because... He got away with it. Like, he never went to prison. I guess he must have had, you know, friends in high places. He's got those clown connections. (laughs) (laughs) Clowns were, like, basically running the world at this time. It was a very dark period in, in Europe. But he got away with it. And he's actually, to this day, sort of revered in certain clown circles that exist. Because he pushed the character above the station of being second to a Harlequin, which I'll talk more about later. But the Harlequin was always, like, the kind of top clown in clown hierarchy, cast system, whereas the, um, the Pierrot was sort of the schlub underneath them. And this guy made the Pierrot almost more famous, and he murdered somebody. So he's a very accomplished person.
2: Jesus, these are like prison rules.
0: He's <laughs> like really- the O.J. Simpson of clowns it's really crazy because there is a
1: lot to clown culture that works like its own society, which almost freaked me out more than other things. Like there are different clown uh, casts basically Um, just to kind of quickly go into it. I want to see if I can find, so there's the white face, which is terrifying and you know, you can equate that with all kinds of things. And the white face would be the one who you see at the circus who's sort of, we're laughing with, they're the one that yeah. is making fun of the other clowns, spraying them with a fire hose, whatever. But then there's another character, and I'm trying to find the name. I might have to think of it later, so we can keep moving on. Um, but it's in my notes. There's a secondary character, which is the one where you see the pink, and they wear just some color, but their face is mostly pink, and they have, you know, uh, they don't look as like, dare I say, cool as the white character, because they're clowns. <laughs> <laughs> But that character is sort of like the schlubby one that gets picked on. And there was actually a movie uh, that Bobcat Goldthwaite did where there was a rogue clown that killed yeah, other clowns. Yeah, creeps the clown. Yeah.
2: And, or and shakes he, the clown.
1: Yeah, and he killed other clowns. And they actually did their research and made it that secondary character. Because if anyone is going to turn on other clowns, it's that dude who... Is basically systematically bullied and harassed by all other clowns in every clown troupe.
2: Yeah, it's like the punchline of a punchline.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. So I think, so I've got a bunch of stuff on clowns, but I also wanna talk a little bit about how clowns and the sense of a circus or carnival come together. And I know Theo has a lot of stuff on carnival. So just to sort of kick that off, and we'll kind of move in and out of clown stuff. I What I found interesting was, <laughs> once upon a time, clowns and sort of freak show, if you will, people, people with deformities that would be on traveling carnivals and things like that, were one and the same. You would dress up someone, like sort of like in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, you would dress up a freak and sort of make fun of them in public, and they were a clown. At some point, they sort of split, and... What happened was they were sort of separate for a while, and the clown became more of a performance art rather than ridicule. And then those two merged again when circuses started to become a really big thing in like the 1760s. And all of a sudden, the people that were one and the same before, the freak show people and the clowns, were different. Only now, the clowns could openly mock the freak show people and were free to roam around, which also helped give clowns a more sinister vibe that they were like cruel, <clears throat> dark characters.
2: Yeah, no, you know, there's something about that, uh, about the clown actually coming into the audience and interacting with people. Because now with TV or anything else, but back then, specifically with theater, it was a, when you view something, you expect it to be a very passive uh, activity. You know, you are just sitting there while other people do things. What makes that, like very specifically creepy is the moment a clown comes out into the audience and starts interacting, it becomes an active entertainment instead of a passive mm-hmm. entertainment, which is kind of like the olden equivalent of like somebody coming out of your television and, and interacting with you. Suddenly people are going to be much more on their guard. Right. Uh, whether it's a combination of like, I don't want the attention to be on me. I don't want this. I don't want that it's going to create a a weird feeling that is very specific to the clown because it's not the animals will not be doing that. The freaks won't be doing that. It's very specifically the clown that will do that.
1: Even at shows like Cirque du Soleil, they have creepy clowns that will come out and fuck with people in the audience. And it's really unnerving because you buy a ticket to what you essentially equate as like a Broadway show where nobody interacts with you at all. And then you're sitting there waiting and it's like, quiet there's the house lights are up and there's just a clown walking around and all every single person in the theater is thinking he's like that clown better stay as far away from me as possible." no one wants it nobody wants it everybody's pissed off when it happens to them
2: yeah no it's it creates a weird situation
0: but ed you had stuff on carnivals we'll kind of flit in and out of clowns and stuff but like one of the main reasons that clowns are such a big Staple of American You know, American identity And pop culture is because of Carnivals So the circuits industry in the 19th and 20th century Was booming And that was in large part Due to the introduction of railroads To America And obviously they aren't that major today But for a very long time Railroads were the lifeline Of the country And suddenly You know you could get from one part of the country to another in you know years before would have taken weeks or months. You could do it in a fraction of the time, so carnivals traveled on rails, and this is before television um in some cases before radio uh, and you know people their most of their entertainment was you know church or yeah you know, digging holes. <laughs> or, I don't know. We're Woo! both combined. Drinking the shine. <laughs> so a carnival or a circus would roll up in a town and they would unload all of their stuff and they'd stay there for a week and then they'd like move on. So two things that we can infer from that. One, think about any band or celebrity who's doing like a press tour or, you know, athletes who travel a lot. Think, you know, think about any time you hear them talking about touring. And none of them are really jazzed about it. Right. They're just miserable and cranky and drinking constantly and fighting. And this was those people's lives. And they weren't getting rich off of it. They were barely surviving. So they were like miserable to begin with. And two, you know, carnivals and circuses of today are not what they were back then. So, I mean, circuses are kind of really like within 20 years, they're going to be completely dead. Yeah,
1: they've already I know Barnum and Bailey already stopped using elephants because of pushback from from animals rights, animal rights groups for good reason. And it seems like over time they're just chipping away at what a circus is and in general, I don't think people care that much anymore.
2: No, no one does. Ugh. We
0: yeah. have Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> and even for live entertainment, there's just so many better options. You know? Right. If you want to see an elephant, just go to the zoo. Um, <laughs> you know, if you want to see somebody dance or something, you go to the ballet. It's or yeah. the strip club. If, uh, if you want to see a man
2: fuck an elephant, just go on the Internet. You know, <laughs> we can literally see anything. There's not as much as a reason uh, for the circus. And I, I feel weird saying that because I went to the circus as a kid. <laughs> but, you know, you know, when you talk about the traveling uh, fairs and the traveling freak shows and carnivals, what's interesting is this would be a big deal to whatever town they came to because it was entertainment for once. Right. Uh, Nothing is happening otherwise. <laughs> yeah. And the difference between them... And a celebrity nowadays doing uh, doing a press tour or something is they would stay for a week and they would interact with people day to day Uh, because, you know, as much as they were performers, they still had to do things like eat and, you know, get supplies and everything. And it was just this weird mix of like i just saw you on stage you're a nobody so you have no real status right uh but later we're all going to be watching you and potentially mocking you it's just it's a weird dynamic
1: yeah i think the best uh version of that or the best way that i've understood how that would have played out back in the day was reading something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury where yeah. an evil carnival comes to town, and it's not just what happens within the limits of the carnival. The guys who run it, Mr. Dark and Mr. Cougar, these incredibly creepy mystical beings, are sort of weave themselves in and out of the town's lives for a bit, and it's sort of this intrusive notion that these strange people who who have no backstory as far as you know just come into your life and they're and they just kind of just worm their way through the whole town and captures everybody's attention. And then, boom, overnight, they roll everything up and the train pulls out and they're gone, leaving people wondering what the hell just happened to them for a week. What happened to their quaint little
0: homestead lifestyle? Um, Another thing is that joke you made about strip clubs. Well, that was pretty on point because a big part of old circuses was the showgirls. Sure. There would be girls that would strip. And in a lot of cases, some of them were prostitutes as well. So there was this really kind of, like, seedy underbelly to the circus where because they would go into towns for such a short time and then just scram and because there was, like, no way of tracking them or keeping tabs on people back then, they could get away with a lot of stuff. So a lot of prostitution went on. Um, during, the, um, during Prohibition, a lot of circuses were involved in bootlegging. Right. Just because they had this, like free reign of the rails and you know nobody's going to like go into a lion cage to check for booze right
1: and at the end of the day these are not necessarily the showmen that we like to romanticize in certain modern day interpretations like i think about big fish and how he joins the circus and they're they're just people want to put on a show no it's more likely these are the miserable people that are down on their luck that you mentioned that are really just trying to make money so, sure, they'll put on a show, but if it's going to help, they're also going to sell sex, they're going to sell drugs, they're going to sell booze, and just whatever other dark, twisted shit they can to make as much money as they can and then keep moving on. So it's really – it's it's almost like Vegas coming to town as opposed to a wonderful child show.
0: Yeah, and that's – you nailed it. They were all about making a buck, and they were just the – they were hucksters. They were – You know, showmen out to scam you out of your hard-earned money. So, one of my favorite things that kind of encapsulates this is the Fiji Mermaid, which was invented by P.T. Barnum. And I feel like if you don't know the phrase, you probably know what it is. So, in the um, 1890s, P.T. Barnum would start showing at his circuses in the sideshow. They would have this booth where they say that like in the Indian ocean, a sailor found a live mermaid and they brought it back and now you can see it. And nobody knows where it came from and science can't explain it. And it's this horrible little monster. And it was almost mummified. It was so like decrepit cause it was dead. It was like a corpse, but it's genuinely scary and then you find out, as time goes on, that it's a baby monkey's torso sewn to the back of a fish. Hmm. And when I say you find this out over time, this isn't like, you know, this happened for like a month and then P.T. Barnum was just, I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> no, this is something he he kept up his entire life. Right. And, you know, that there were other things like that. Like, and... um. Recently, um, like I guess at this point, like a month ago, I went to um, a Renaissance fair with my girlfriend and they have this like sort of like gimmicky like sideshow thing where you walk through and it's like all these like monsters and they're like kept in like jars and it's clearly fake and it's supposed to be like goofy. So like you can see like one of the things was Grendel's arm and they had like a goblin and they're all in these like flasks and they're supposed to be like specimens and shit and it was goofy and fun and I had the best time doing it. But like that's what they would do. They were, they would have stuff like that. You know, they would get animals that were like stillborn but mutated, like you know, two-headed cats, and be like, "Look at this crazy fucking monster we found in Egypt!" Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What has God done? <laughs> and that speaks to uh, an underbelly sort of industry, really, that fed into this because it wasn't just the the performers. There was also people who needed to provide these things. And there's a lot of darkness behind both carnivals and clowns when it comes to how to create these sort of spectacles. And a lot of times it just came down to straight up kidnapping people, um, disfiguring people. There's a, if anyone's read the the book, the man who laughs by Victor Hugo, that the main character Gwynplaine is disfigured. His face is, is carved into a permanent smile and if that sounds familiar, that's exactly where the creators of the Joker came up with his look and feel, was from the, the movie from the 20s. But what's interesting is in the beginning of the story, they talk about how when he was a child, he was kidnapped and disfigured by this group of people called the Campre chicos, which were based on real people that went all over Europe. You know, think about any ideas you might have about like gypsies at the time, traveling people, much like a carnival or a circus. And they would either find people down on their luck, find homeless children, or just straight up kidnap people. And then they would disfigure them in ways so that they would make for a freak show. So a lot of these people weren't necessarily deformed people who were just misunderstood and they had nowhere else to go. They were born with nothing wrong with them. And it was just a good industry to turn them into something that could be presented as a freak of nature. And they were real people who just knew no better because they they were basically tortured as a child and then had to live this the rest of their life. So these are the people that are coming into the towns. It's not people going to clown college today that just think it's a happy-go-lucky way to live.
2: You know, it's an interesting balance um, because even going back to the jesters of um, of England and what it seems like even uh, to the period that we're talking about is... This started with the Jesters. They were able to say anything to anyone. However, they were viewed as, like, some of the lowest members of society. So they had this weird balance of both power yet no authority. Um, You were
1: untouchable in both good and bad ways. You were untouchable in the sense that you couldn't be locked up for what you were doing, but you were also untouchable in the sense that absolutely no one wanted to do any business with you whatsoever.
2: Yeah, and we have this narrative about carnivals and freak shows in particular where it's like, oh, these these guys couldn't go anywhere else and they found they made this family uh with with the carnival and the freak show and everything and it seems like cuz a, a lot of this was new knowledge to me as you guys said it. Um it seems like at least in yesteryear, that was very much not the case, typically. It, it seems like there was a lot of kidnapping. And, yeah. Uh, uh, like, what essentially is war crimes uh, un- Unfortunately, I think it comes down
1: to the dark underbelly of most things. At the end of the day, it's a business. And businesses run more efficiently when you cut as many corners as you can to make money. So you can't wait around for the most talented clowns to just kind of come to you. You take advantage of people who are in a certain way. Maybe they're in debt. Maybe they are drunk. And you say, hey, you come with us. I'll give you two pennies a month to dress up like an asshole and put on shows for people in towns all over America.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but those carnivals, the, the railroads that would take them there, um, the clowns became a part of that. And besides the Fiji mermaids and the strippers and the booze, they became an inseparable part of the circus and that was what sort of introduced clowns to to America
1: yeah and that's absolutely. how they
0: became like a staple of our pop culture
1: yeah because they were so they were such an integral part of entertainment in Europe and you're right it was the circus that really brought them here whereas it was much more the stage that sort of spread them around Europe and i think there's a very big difference between someone who is essentially an actor that didn't make it in the other forms of acting, or maybe they prefer to be a clown. And then someone who is like, you know, I almost equate the circus clown in those times. Not now. I'm sure they're very professional, well-meaning clowns, but in those times I almost equate them to the people that sit out in Times Square with like an Elmo head on. Like they just (laughs) need to make, they don't give a shit about making your kid smile. Like they just need to make money so they can survive.
0: Well just think about like you know all the stuff you guys said about the clowns in Europe and how there was you know this like hierarchy and a lot of them were treated with like respect the American clowns like they were they were hobos that's how they dressed right they dressed in character caricatures of homeless people because they were they essentially were they were riding the rails these were mostly people that if they weren't clowns they wouldn't have anything else to do Right. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the only difference between a clown and a drifter at the time was some grease paint.
2: Yeah. All right. So, those are clowns looking to survive. <laughs> Let's jump to clowns that survive
0: while killing other people. I'm, I'm just and, a clown trying to survive in this clowny clown world. I think I, think I just want my kids back. <laughs> y- you can tell us about about. Clowns that kill people. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm sure at this point you are wondering why we have yet to bring up a certain person, Fred Durst, <laughs> the greatest clown of Just all time. Just one of those days <laughs> <laughs> when you don't want so, to clown up. Keep going. So that person is Pogo the Clown, also known as John Wayne Gacy. So Ooh. it's inevitable that we, if we do a clown episode. You know we have to talk about them so let's 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 jump headlong into that absolutely so
1: gacy uh everybody knows his name he's up there with Dahmer and other people but and i think people knew that he dressed up as a clown but i don't think a lot of people know the whole story about like what kind of person he was and by all accounts aside from murdering people he was a great person which is probably the most terrifying thing about him
0: yeah, he was a businessman. He was, like, involved with, like, local politics and, like, charities and stuff. Right. He had he had
1: a, a very successful construction company. He was a very prominent member of the Democratic Party in Chicago, um, gave a lot of money to candidates, rallied for certain causes. I mean, like a really, like, gregarious sort of unofficial mayor, like sort of man about town that people really respected in the suburb of Chicago where where he lived. What— is really kind of for me as we're talking about all of the ways that sort of clown culture works makes sense that he took on the persona of a clown was that he sort of worked in the same feeding off of people's pain and strife kind of way his victims were young men either like very young 20s or even teenagers minors he was he was gay and he would sort of lure them in and, and sleep with them and things, but then he would murder them. And the peop- He was also very much in denial about being Oh, gay. big time. He had a lot of hang-ups about it. One would even wonder if he had just been okay with it, how many people
0: Yeah, because he need was he was married and had children.
1: Yeah, he was living this second life and what he was doing was he was feeding off of those people that are cast out, the people that in yesteryear would have been drawn to traveling around America and clowning. A lot of the guys that he hired for his construction company were like strong young men who came from broken homes or they ran away. There was one actually just last year, they finally identified one of his unidentified victims who was a guy that had run away from home and his family just never saw him and they thought something else happened. Well, skip ahead ahead 40 years just about And the family gets told, oh, your missing brother was actually one of John Wayne Gacy's victims because he he ran away, ran into Gacy, you know, had a whether it was a romance or he just went to his house to hang out, um, was was murdered by him and buried underneath his home with at least 30 something other people.
0: There's 33 confirmed confirmed right from the years 1972 to 1978. He killed 33 known men. Now, that's six years. That's an average of five and a half people a year. Jesus. Which is like, I mean, it's a little slow, if if I'm being honest. I don't know. That's like once every two months you kill somebody. Right.
1: When you think of how other murders take place of like one person and you see these documentaries where they're like they had been planning it for months everything was set it's like no he's basically got a pretty good trap set where he draws people in and then takes them
2: out yeah, and yeah you know what write in if you think you can beat that record we want to <laughs> hear from you or if you yeah. have beaten that record we'd love to interview you
0: yeah, it's he would lure these men to his house and he would strangle them. That was his method of executing them. And he buried them all beneath the floorboards of his house. Yeah, pretty nuts. Yeah.
1: So um, I don't I don't know if we should say too much more about him, but where, where it draws back to clowns, not only did he have a clown alter ego, Pogo the Clown, he would work at kids' parties and perform. And what I think is interesting to me, you might... As- You might assume that a man who does that is trying to lure children to him so that he can kill them, which was not the case. He was finding people in just his other life, in his romantic life as a gay man and do it that way. So the part of him that was a clown and performing at kids parties, we have really no other reason to believe or no, no reason not to believe that he just really enjoyed being a clown and liked entertaining people.
2: He uh, he didn't dress as a clown or anything when he killed people. Right, right. He like, was
1: himself. It's almost like Pogo the Clown was like, if he was just Pogo all the time, maybe he wouldn't have
2: been a murderer.
0: Yeah, like
2: <laughs> it's kind of one of those weird things with clowning an inlet or an outlet. Like Right, exactly. And and today,
1: um, he he was a painter too. And some of his paintings that he's done, which are super creepy, I think they'd be creepy without the context, but they're definitely creepier with it. They go for thousands of dollars in galleries. I'm sorry.
2: If it wasn't John Wayne Gacy, there would be, like, serious copyright infringement on a lot of his paintings. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Disney would not—I don't understand why Disney didn't—like, it's a very un-Disney thing to be like, let him just have it. I think it's harsh.
0: what What did he do from Disney?
2: Uh, Like the seven dwarves and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. because he
1: did paint a lot of things other than clowns. Like he painted himself a lot as Pogo, but he painted a lot of stuff. And really, at the end of the day, going back to that businessman thing, when he was doing these after he was in prison and his stuff started really kind of innocent, like the seven dwarves, childlike things like that. As people started paying money and he was able to get some of it to him to make his life in prison a little more comfortable without, you know, things in the commissary and stuff like that, he started intentionally drawing darker stuff like skulls. He did a famous painting that was, like, called Dahmer's Skull, basically playing off the fervor. So he was, above all... A murderer and an opportunist, someone who was yeah. like hey if if i'm going to be a the most prolific serial killer in the United States, i'm going to make a fucking buck on it before I die." Yeah, he was great at branding. he really was he's, he's like a a a marketing he's like a marketing class all on its own. he's built a pretty <laughs> strong brand
2: as far as murderers go and this probably is a good jumping off point to why like in general we find clowns creepy you know aside from everything else aside from the fact that you know they were they were never had like a joyous history of of spreading smiles uh just clowns in general some people are creeped out by and there's a reason for that and uh, we're 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 now going to shift into psychology a little bit as we are wont to do. Psychology
1: and Norse mythology are the two things that we always talk about. I don't
0: know, we've been we've been leaning pretty heavy into uh, Greek and Roman history, too. Yeah. Oh, don't worry, yeah. I have
1: stuff about Loki,
2: if we have time. <laughs> but, you know, there's people in general tend to get a feeling of unease from something that they don't understand or don't know. And There have been studies done about clowns, and I think it's referenced in a book called Bad Clowns, um, that's like like this podcast, but a lot more competent, um, (laughs) where people found themselves to be unsettled by clowns because you couldn't actually read their emotion. They had this large false smile painted. And people would actually find this really unsettling because no matter what, The clown is actually feeling it's just portrayed as a smile which unconsciously creates a sense of mistrust yeah um, and disguise and because we're naturally suspicious animals it, it just it gives us this feeling of unease because we don't like not knowing things
1: right. There was a study um, recently, actually, in recent years, called On the Nature of Creepiness, was the sort of report that these two doctors came It was these two psychologists, Francis McAndrew and Sarah Conkey of Knox College in Illinois. Um, They asked more than 1,000 people to rate the creepiness of a list of occupations. And there were other things up there like Undertaker, I think Janitor might have been on there just be, probably because of like movies and stuff like that, which is great because I've been both a gravedigger and a janitor. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm t- you put those two together and I'm a clown. But cl- <laughs> clowns were at the top of the list, like by far. And the one researcher, Mick Andrews, said that he wasn't surprised by that. And it's exactly what Dave said. It's the ambiguity of a clown. It's the uncertainty of a threat is actually more frightening than a threat. If you are in the zoo and there's a lion, you're you're respectful of its power, but you know that if there was not that barrier between you, that it would kill you. So that certainty almost feels more comfortable than having a clown way down the street heading in your, your direction and not knowing if it's gonna completely ignore you, make a joke or try to terrorize you in some way. That is way scarier to people, apparently, psychologically speaking, than something that is a definite threat. Oh, yeah,
2: because you can categorize it. Right. Like, we just... we, We get very upset when we can't put stuff into... When we can't file stuff in a specific place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're really... I think you're really picking up on something with the anonymity of it. Because there's definitely... A, a, a mean spiritedness Around clowns yeah. So like Nick I know I've been in a comedy club with you before Where <laughs> there's a guy who's done insult comedy And yes. <laughs> wasn't particularly good at it He was quite bad And yeah And it just kind of I remember it just kind of rolled off you Because he's just some guy Yeah and he basically
1: I, just made the comment That I I was blonde at the time
0: In no yeah. one direction or the other <laughs> just that it was a fact (laughs) and and nobody really ever wants to be in that position you know nobody likes being the butt of a joke and when stand-ups do it that's one thing you know we know who they are you can check them out on facebook and choose to not go to their next show a clown i think you absolutely hit on something when there's this sense of not knowing who a clown is besides being a clown and when it's that person is being mean spirited, it's just adds this level of of danger to it. Yeah, you know, it's it's really unnerving. So that, yeah, it's I, I, I'm I'm actually really into that. I never really thought of that before. Yeah. You're absolutely right, though. I've never once thought about who Ronald McDonald is when he's at home. <laughs> right. And
1: there's there's so there's a piece to that anonymity that I think is almost, and this is where we're going to get into our required Norse mythology of every episode, I found a lot of things connecting this idea of the clown to ancient traditions of trickster gods. Because a trickster god, you know, most people think of Loki in terms of the Thor movies, the Marvel movies now. And I think they do a pretty good job of showing his ambiguity, but I think mostly he's a villain. And that's kind of a problem, because in reality, Loki was completely amoral, which is what a clown is. A clown will fuck with you one second and then give you a flower the next second. And then the second after that, the flower squirts you in your face. You can never tell if they're your friend or not. And that's what Loki was. And I'd really like the last kind of story that I want to tell. And, And I can maybe get into Mr. Punch a little bit if there's time. But I think the more important one is about this character of the Harlequin. The Harlequin was a real type of clown. In France, um, all the way from, I think, the 1600s. Um, no, I'm sorry, eh, the 1300s. So this is medieval. And the Harlequin would dress up in, in bright colors and sort of be that equivalent of the white face clown now, the sort of lead clown that messes with all the other clowns. Um, interestingly enough, the Harlequin also shows up in an unexpected place, but fitting for this topic, which is in Hell, in Dante's Inferno. There's a group uh, within that story of demons that I think it's in the leading to the fifth gate of hell or something that Dante runs into. And one of them is called the Arlequino or something, which is basically Italian for Harlequin. So there was always this kind of connection. And people have also connected it to other like sort of ancient ideas. Like there is a poem uh, called the Earl König or the Earl King by uh, Johann Wolfgang van Gogh that's the about King. yeah it's an opera. yeah um i remember we read it in high school and he's an abductor of children people have tied the harlequin to that myth as well there's a really interesting story and this is where i'm going to give a big disclaimer the uh main source for this story is very not credible it's called mysterious universe dave you and i were talking about it the other day <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. almost going to pitch this more as a really great clown creepy pasta, But it's become slightly bigger than that. So I think it's worth talking about as far as how people talk about it on the internet. So there's this writer named Dan Mitchell. He was a blogger. And back in sort of 2001 or so, he's he's telling these stories about when he was a kid and creepy goings on that his entire family would feel. Now, this was during the 1980s that the stories came from when he was a kid in Southern Wisconsin. So he reports to this day, or so the claim is on various sites that he would be visited by a thin androgynous figure. So there's that ambiguity again, even behind the makeup, you can't tell if it's a man or a woman. And the description that he would give for this was really terrifying. Basically it had giant round black expressionless eyes. So not makeup, but almost like a physical clown, like it's built into its body. And it had uh, sort of in, in a constant look of surprise on its face. It had big, scary teeth and always looked sort of shocked all the time. What's interesting is Dan accounted that it would entertain him in his room. It would sort of dance around with this tall, lanky body, and it would tell stories and that essentially they were friends. Where it gets interesting is that he reported... Uh, that his entire family had these sort of encounters. No one else admitted to seeing a clown, but he remembers his dad standing up at the dinner table one time and freaking out about hearing noises upstairs and then shutting down completely and never talking about it again. His mom would have even more things. She recalls dreaming about a figure coming and trying to get into the house that largely matched the description of Dan's account of the Harlequin. This sort of androgynous figure. I mean, think about almost like a clown Slender Man. So some of the other interesting things, like he would talk about how it smelled like fresh rain. Like there was a lot of positive ways that Dan would put how he felt about this thing, maybe because it was childhood memory. But then terror that he would equate with it. It eventually sort of stopped terrorizing him. And this is where things get a little interesting. Um, He didn't have any accounts for it a while, but he would start seeing things in his life that he would sort of account to it. Like he said one time he was uh, leaving their cabin in the woods with his dad and this tall, lanky figure was pushing a stroller in the middle of the night, literally in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and that it was hiding its face from him. And he says that was probably the Harlequin. Um, So there was that. Skip ahead uh, to 1994. Dan's driving with his friends. He stops to pick up a girl Um, who he thought was at the same party as them. It was him and his buddies. And they see a a girl sitting on the side who looked like somebody that was at the party. So they stop the car, and in like straight-up horror movie fashion, uh, the head turns, and it's this horrific, surprised face that everyone else in the car is freaking out about. And Dan is the only one who's like, I know this. This is from... It's following me. It's from my childhood. So the driver goes to turn the engine... And or goes to slam on the gas and the car stalls completely and they get stopped there. And next thing they know, similar to sort of the UFO encounters that we talked about on that episode, he's, they've all lost time. So that's important because what I'm going to kind of get into is what has happened to the internet since this story has broken out and it speaks a lot to how people feel about clowns. So there have been theories that, Dan's Harlequin was an alien. There are theories that it's an elder god of some sort. There are theories (laughs) that it's Loki. And it's become this huge sort of underground internet story of the Harlequin that people have talked about. And have built on the mythos of in a big way. People have even sort of tied it to... um, there was, there's like other characters that like court, you know, jester characters and different sort of fandoms that people have, have attributed to. But one of the interesting things that came up was that the Hopi Indians of that same area in Wisconsin had a character called uh, Masaw, which actually kind of fit the physical description of the large black eyes and the big round mouth. So then there are people who are local that say that the Harlequin is that. What's interesting is in 2010, Dan claims to have met this entity in a park. He's gone. He's now well into his adult life. Even his children have started to tell him that daddy, last night, a man came into my room and started telling me stories. Um, He tried to get into my head. So Dan is freaking out now. And he says, I need to do something about this. And I got the sense that I could go out somewhere and I could call on it in isolation, and meet it face-to-face. So this is where it turns into me more of just a good story than reality, but it's a pretty fascinating way to think about clowns as a, as a hypothesis. He goes out there into a park, and he starts to just say, you know, I want to speak with you, and he's try- sort of calling it. Next thing you know, it's just there. It just sort of appears. And this is the first time the entity kind of drops the facade of, Mr. Nice Guy, I'm your friend. Because at first it says, do you remember when we used to dance and play together? This is a quote that he said it asked him. Uh, He started to talk to it. He realizes that this sort of facade of the clown started to drop. And he started to realize that there was this like animalistic but powerful nature to it. And he said he got the sense that this creature could end the world if it wanted to. But is just sitting on it, on that information, I guess, and tormenting him for some reason. He doesn't know. But reading into this, it's freaking mind-blowing how many other people, and granted, these are Reddit threads and stuff, but how many other people have equated, either because of that or have found some solace in his story, that they feel like clowns themselves are a larger conspiracy, that they're otherworldly, or that there's something elemental about them, and they're ancient and eternal, and they're sort of like Loki, this force that just fucks with us, and we don't know or why.
2: the clowns are like the cult of Cthulhu. Kind uh, of. To this specific entity.
1: Right, kind of. So it's, it's pretty crazy to think about that, and it almost kind of puts in your head, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, like, wow, what if that was true? Because there's some form of clown in basically every culture. This ambiguous, androgynous, makeup trickster that has the ability to break all of the rules. Why, why is it that, you know, at going back to psychology to kind of tie things together, it is interesting to pose the question, why is it that we need that character in our lives even though they're kind of terrifying?
2: Yeah. What what I find most interesting about all of this is you know there's the modern day clown and i'm sure a lot of them really enjoy uh bring joy to to kids um or adults in some cases but what's really great about all of this is their almost unintentional inspiration to horror and, and to the darker sides of things Um, I'm sure that some people have really great stories about an interaction with a clown. Uh, There's probably more stories about uh, creepy uh, shit, for lack of a better word, going (laughs) down with the clown. But it's just great that there is this character that has been in so many cultures uh, over such a long period of time that's continuing to unintentionally or not inspire these kinds of stories
0: absolutely
2: in a way they're doing their job
0: right yeah i can't think of one positive clown in pop culture you know there's pennywise and there's the joker and there's captain spaulding the closest thing to a good guy clown that i can think of is Krusty from the simpsons right i would say bozo the clown yeah i guess but also i mean unless you're over the age of 60 nobody's gonna know right. <laughs> dick about nobody bozo. remembers what he was like i yeah. know there was a clown on television his name was bozo that's it and it's funny
1: that you brought up Krust- Krusty because even Krusty fits that description of the amoral trickster like he's absolutely yeah. he, he's hardly a good person he might not yeah. be a murderer all the time he's, but he's, he's
0: not a villain but he's not a good guy right yeah. and
1: he's tragic and he's extremely tragic. He's, much, uh, he's very much like that original Joey, like Grimaldi. Um, mm-hmm. So just to kind of drive this home, I think no, there's no better illustration of the fear that all people have on some level of clowns than last year when there was a sweeping clown scare And that's literally the only term for it. That's what the news called it It was a clown scare, which was basically a common hysteria, both in the United States and in Europe, that clowns were out there trying to abduct children.
0: Yeah. And you know what? You know what that came from? It was something this this couple in England who were doing these pictures as some kind of like art piece. Mm. And then like that got traction because somebody actually saw them out there and they're like, wow, this is creepy. And then just a billion other people started doing that shit, too.
2: Yeah. yeah, but here here's the problem with this. It is very, very hard to find accurate information about the creepy clown scare. Oh, God, um, yeah. I think that it was a lot of passive performance art because I found that the creepy clown thing is a lot like the knockout game that Fox News was so fond of yes. talking about. They oh, talked shit, about I it. forgot about the yeah. knockout game. They talked about it a lot. However, there was no actual right fact were actually zero
1: accounts of it really happening
2: (laughs) yeah there there were instances of people knocking each other out but usually then when they were asked about it it's like we we got into a fight right or like i or (laughs) i was gonna mug him or something like that like it's very 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 hard to find any real thing about creepy clown except for one story in florida yes which ed you know a little bit
0: about that don't you Yeah, and this is wild because, like, the news broke on this, like, yesterday. So, I mean, how's that for timing? Okay, so... (laughs) We did it! In 1990, a town called Wellington, Florida. Really nice, well-to-do town. It's basically like a development. Uh, There's this woman, Marlene Warren, and she is in her kitchen. She's eating breakfast, and there's a knock at the door. She goes to the door, and there's a clown. And the clown has balloons and flowers and Marlene's all happy because it looks like somebody sent her some kind of like singing telegram or something like that. And the clown pulls out a gun and shoots her in the head. That is and then, that is so fucked. And then the clown, according to witnesses, gets back in the convertible that he showed up in and left. So that, like I said, that happened in 1990. And an arrest was just made for it this week. Wow. So Yeah. So the the murderer. I'm sorry, the dog just ran into the room. He's loud. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Well, yes, Charlie, we are talking about murderers. Um, but yeah, so the the murderer was this woman named Oh god, I just had it. Uh Sheila Keen. And Sheila as she's 54 now so at the time she was 27 mm. and she was sleeping with uh Marlene's husband Michael because Michael owned a car dealership and he was arrest eventually he was arrested for racketeering so he was a gangster and was into all sorts of shady shit and he was banging this like young girl on the side and um the The case was, was cold for a very long time. Then in 2014, they reopened it because the idea was that maybe with, like, the advances in um, technology and, like, forensics, they'd be able to, like, you know, get some um, get some more dirt on who they thought did it. So it turns out that in the time since, uh, Sheila and Michael got married. So Sheila is now Sheila Keane Warren. Ugh. And they had um, witnesses seeing her buy the flowers and the balloons and um the costume shop like was able to like people at the costume shop was able to testify that she came in and bought the clown costume like three days before so she finally got arrested and is going to jail for murder probably oh my god Uh, damn so it's but yeah it was an actual instance of so i guess a clown killing somebody is it
1: too early to tell why a clown Like, do we not know the motive behind that yet? Well, I think it was just meant to be a disguise. Sure. I mean, it certainly worked for a while. I guess it created enough of a diversion that they probably went down some wrong paths before. Oh, yeah. Because this
2: this was uh, the creepy clown thing was a self-fulfilling prophecy in that, you know, there were reports of clowns trying to adopt kids and clowns attacking people and everything. And the police being the police can't just ignore these kind of things they have have to to address it. it and like they have to look into it and they have to make some kind of statement about it which would then give validity to the people that were saying that this is definitely happening it was like well look the police are addressing it and don't get me wrong there was a lot of creepy clown sightings like and i was kind of into it (laughs) I like that people were dressing as creepy clowns and walking around and then
0: because at a certain point people are just like hey this is a great way to get attention yeah exactly and it's really almost always a good time
1: to make your scapegoat a clown because in looking into this 2016 was not an anomaly like during the time of this murder there was probably a a clown scare going on then too
0: because I know for and that it, probably only made it worse because she got away with it for nearly right, three decades. Right, yeah. And there's people who just saw a clown shoot a person, right. and leave, and just like what, what, what does that do to the human psyche? Oh my God. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. And,
2: well, 2016 was a pretty fucked up year.
0: <laughs> and uh, well, and it's crazy
1: because these clown scares they do pop up again and again. In the 80s, there was a really bad one in Boston where everybody was claiming like. It's these freaking clowns, man. They're everywhere. We got it. Like people were ready to go out on the streets and take justice into their own hands. The trouble with it was literally all of the accounts, if not maybe a couple others, were from children. And it's really Mm. hard to build a case on just what kids in the neighborhood are saying. And there was actually a, a woman named Loren Coleman, who's a professional cryptozoologist, which is amazing that that's a real career. Um, she's not someone who hunts actual monsters. She's actually a skeptic that looks into why people. She's more of a psychologist. Why do people think there are monsters? And she created this thing called the Phantom Clown Theory, which is basically just describes the mass hysteria based on very little evidence. And it goes very much back to what Dave was saying about the knockout game. There are certain things that people want to believe so much and like fox viewers really wanted to believe that black kids were going around (laughs) punching people for no reason hence the knockout game and i think everyone regardless of your demographic really wants to believe that clowns are out to kill us so the second you hear one rumor boom that's it clown hysteria doesn't matter cops have to look into it governments have to address it and it takes a while for it to die down again, and yeah. there's literally no stopping that. We're gonna have so many more clown scares in our lives. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Okay, here's here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna quit this podcast. We're gonna start writing a movie about a bunch of drunk Irish Boston goons <laughs> rounding up a posse to hunt down clowns.
1: I would watch this shit out of that movie. See, the reason starring that Mark sucks Wahlberg
2: is like. You know, there are clowns that, like, go to children's
0: hospitals.
2: and like yeah, uh, right. yeah, for all the shit we are
0: talking about clowns in this episode, there are some that are just decent people who like children, like entertaining them, and, you know, have, have a decent career and are good people.
1: Right, which is yeah. why we need things like clowns' rights rallies led by Juggalos.
2: <laughs>
0: no,
1: yeah, we do not
2: need that. But all I'm saying is it's cool to buy... Into all of this, but don't like be like, I don't know, like Penn State and have like a clown hunt. Like, right. it's just a little bit too weird. Like, just, you know, if you see a clown, maybe don't immediately assume that they're gonna kill you.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, like, hold, like, know. put your keys in your knuckles like you do when you're walking home late at night, ladies. But, you know, don't just attack the clown.
2: Yeah, yeah. if
0: you see a, ca- a clown like, Menacingly standing like behind a building, creeping on people, then get scared. If you see a clown just like holding a bottle, like a, you know, like a, a, a cup tank. of coffee, and like <laughs> pulling out his keys to unlock his car,
1: just getting into his just, unusually small car with his, his just, friends,
2: just leave <laughs> with, with him me. and He's his going thirty home. friends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, let's wrap this shit up.
1: Yeah, so this was a lot of fun, decidedly more fun thematically, I think, than, than our last episode, which was about people eating people.
2: So <laughs> Now we're, yeah. the next episode is going to be about clowns eating other clowns. So.
1: <laughs> oh no, clown cannibalism. I think that would be, so the one thing we didn't cover was that uh, the name for cannibalism is like coolrophobia um so maybe it's like i don't know cool or something like that i just think it's funny that it's that there's cool in it because clowns are not that um <laughs> but this was this was a lot of fun um i'm really glad that we talked about all the things we did and i'm glad that we talked about carnival stuff too because carnivals yeah. are
0: super spooky yeah that's that's one of those topics that we could like spend forever on
1: yeah so let's do it all right let's go into the second hour guys
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have to get back to Destiny. So, why don't you tell people where they can find us?
0: <laughs> All right. So, we are on Twitter at AOE underscore podcast. So, hit us up there. You can find us at AOEpod.com. Uh, we are on iTunes at Age and Frightment. So, look us up there. Rate um, us. We would love it if you could give us a rating. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who's done it so far. Um, e- shoot us an email at um. what are we AOE pod no, no I think, I think we're g- in frightenment yeah at- in
1: frightenment at com. I think but we also oh, have man. a thing we have a website uh, on the website aoepod.com com, which uh, Theo mentioned there's also a page where you can just write us an email right there and it goes directly to us so you can just keep on listening while you're writing just listen and write and listen
0: and write and do that until you die of starvation but you'll be okay. listening to us so it'll be great <laughs> Write us a letter and put it in a bottle and throw it into the ocean And it'll make it its way to
2: us
1: <laughs> Unless the currents just don't go in that direction In which case we're never going to see it
0: Yeah, whisper, whisper your comments to a moth like Gandalf In <laughs> The Fellowship of the Rings And we'll swoop in on an eagle I think that's a pretty tight
1: ending I think we should, we should call it quits there right. Bye everyone Thanks
2: everybody Bye, Bye! Bye. Bye, guys.
0: <laughs>
2: Bye, Georgie. <laughs>